In 2016, 50-year-old Robert Shriver had what might sound like an average American life. A loving partner, a small home in the sleepy Pennsylvanian town of Bristol, and a fulfilling job as a special education teacher. But instead of returning home after work, Shriver dedicated his evenings to conducting religious services inside state prisons across the river in New Jersey. Enduring difficult commutes and a tedious security process, Shriver worked hard to ensure his services would resonate with the inmates. However, he knew many had ulterior motivations for attending. But some inmates really weren't interested in any deities other than Odin. This is Robert driving from Trenton, New Jersey, to a heathen meetup in Levittown, Pennsylvania. Producer Robin Lands spent time with Robert in and around Bristol in 2019. And you'll hear tape in this episode from their time together, both in a car, in a restaurant, and elsewhere. A request actually came up from something that only have rituals to own. Like, that's not happening. Shriver was there to lead inclusive heathen services. Heathenry, sometimes known as heathenism, Germanic neo-paganism, or Asa True, functions as an umbrella term for modern pagan religions inspired by the pre-Christian religious traditions of Scandinavian, Germanic, and other Northern European peoples. Hello, then! What you're hearing is the chanting at a heathen service of a Danish blot group called Hjefjender, captured by journalist Kate Gregan for a project at the Danish School of Media and Journalism in 2015. When Shriver first began performing prison services, he hoped to educate prisoners about heathenry's rich symbolism and lore. But the inmates didn't always appreciate Shriver's teachings. A highly racialized form of heathenry, often known as Odinism, had spread throughout America's prison system starting in the 1980s. Its membership surged after a 2005 Supreme Court ruling mandated that prisons accommodate the heathen faith. White supremacist gangs used these services to their advantage. I know I had some Aryan Brotherhood um, recruiters in, in one set, and I, and I know that some inmates were passing materials that they shouldn't have been passing, and I had to report that to the chaplain. The material being passed around was often gang propaganda, spreading racist interpretations of heathen lore. But Shriver never gave up on sharing his more inclusive vision of heathenry. Now, at 54, Shriver has spent almost a decade struggling to save his religion from the grips of white supremacy. His struggle is part of a larger fight over whether heathenry is racially exclusive or open to all. Welcome to Ministry of Ideas. I'm Zachary Davis. Today, we will explore what heathenry is, what attracts its followers, and how the conflict over inclusivity will shape its future. Shriver was born to a Pennsylvanian Dutch family in a household alive with Germanic folklore. He was raised with what he calls a strange mix of Lutheran and Anabaptist beliefs but he had difficulty connecting to those religions. In his 40s, he felt himself drawn towards polytheistic traditions. As I got older, the call of the other gods began to influence me very much. Shriver began reading about other religions and came upon the term Ausatru, a Scandinavian term meaning faith in the gods. Interested in learning more about this idea, Shriver sought out the book Essential Ausatru by popular pagan writer Diana Paxson, 
And as I was reading that, it suddenly dawned on me, wait a minute, all those things that are within our own culture, the helpful entities that they talk about in Braukarai, the uh, the spirits of Blue Mountain and all that stuff, those are the deities, the old Germanic deities. And um, so I officially resigned myself to converting at that point. Heathenry operates more like a cluster of related religions than a single systematized tradition. There is no central authority or agreed-upon dogma, but many heathens do share common practices and allegiance to similar deities. The most common heathen pantheon includes the Old Norse gods, worshipped in Scandinavia between the 2nd and 8th centuries CE. Some of the most venerated Norse gods have become widely known today, thanks to the movie Thor and Marvel's Avenger movies. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Thor is the temperamental Norse god of thunder and lightning, prophesied to protect humanity during the end times, known as Ragnarok. There is also Odin, the all-seeing chief of the gods, who summons warriors who die in combat to his great hall, Valhalla. And there's the wily trickster god Loki, the ambivalent, self-serving deity known for shapeshifting, who is foretold to fight against the gods during Ragnarok. However, other Germanic pagan pantheons are accepted too. Shriver worships gods from a pre-Christian Deitch pantheon, where goddesses like Frau Hol, a goddess who orders the cycles of the universe, and Zisa, a goddess known for undoing the knots in followers' lives, reign supreme. Like their ancient counterparts, modern heathens pay respect to these gods by building them altars, leading votive offerings, and performing symbolic ritual sacrifices known as bloats. Thor! Mighty warrior! This is a recording of a bloat to Thor, performed by the Troth, Robert's heathen group, in 2008 during their largest annual gathering called Trothmoot. Be with us here tonight as we call to you in your names from ancient times. Worm Slayer, Hail Thor! Hail Thor! Husband of Seif, Hail Thor! Hail Thor! But for most heathens, everyday deeds are considered far more important than ritual practices and can determine one's place in the afterlife. To be worthy of sitting among the gods, heathens believe they must exemplify the religion's noble virtues, described in Norse pagan texts like the poetic Eddas. These virtues are commonly listed as courage, truth, honor, fidelity, discipline, hospitality, self-reliance, industriousness, and perseverance. The sounds you just heard were part of a pagan ritual from the Russian Ausatru community of Tikvin, held in 2016. But while their gods and rituals may be ancient, today's heathenry has a much more recent origin. That's according to Michael Stramiska, a religious studies scholar at SUNY Orange and author of the book Modern Paganism in World Cultures. The real root of modern paganism is romanticism late 18th and 19th century desire to to rediscover and engage with ideas of past traditions and folkloric identity and all of that. So I think that's the real root. And of course, Nazism is, is one offshoot of that kind of 
ethno-national romanticism. 19th century German romanticism idealized pre-Christian belief systems based on their more, quote, positive and organic nature. A growing German nationalist movement, known as the Volkisch movement, saw Norse paganism as an authentically German alternative to Christianity. In 1887, German journalist Guido von Liszt began writing articles for nationalist publications in Austria. He idealized Volkish folk cultures and believed them to be relics of a pre-Christian pagan religion that he would later name Wotanism. Liszt's writings inspired a number of Volkish and anti-Semitic groups. In 1933, the German faith movement attempted to have Wotanism declared the official faith of Nazi Germany. Wotanism did not become Germany's national religion, but Nazis and Nazi sympathizers did expand its influence to the English-speaking world. Lauren Crow, co-host of the Heathen History Podcast, explains. The first real English-speaking attempt that you see to try to revitalize some sort of worship of the Norse gods is going to be the first Anglican Church of Odin, which was founded in the 1930s in Australia by a guy named A. Rudd Mills, who was a self-avowed Nazi. Mills, a professed anti-Semite, was heavily influenced by Guido von Liszt. He believed Odinism was the true religion of the, quote, British race and touted it as a racially pure alternative to Judeo-Christian traditions. In 1934, Mills founded the first Anglican Church of Odin. His writings later inspired a woman named Elsa Christensen, a Danish-born Nazi sympathizer who immigrated to Toronto after World War II. She became a strong proponent of Odinism, claiming it was the best way to spread quote, racial consciousness to Aryan people. A lot of Odinism also comes from the idea of what is the correct religion for white people. In 1969, Christensen and her husband established a radical political and religious organization called the Odinist Fellowship. Christensen later relocated to the United States, where she began publishing a magazine called The Odinist, which focused heavily on radical right-wing and racist ideologies. Uh, Meanwhile, back at the ranch, a uh, college student named Steve McNallan starts privately worshiping the Viking gods in uh, 1968, uh, believing that they were a better alternative than the Catholic faith that he was raised in. And in 1972, he goes public with a group called the Viking Brotherhood, uh, which evolved into a group called the Ausatru Free Assembly. That was Ben Wagoner, co-host of the Heathen History Podcast. According to Wagoner, Steve McNallan became enamored with Norse paganism after reading Edison Marshall's novel, The Viking. He was attracted to the warrior mentality and individualistic sensibility of the Viking ethos. He emphasized these values within the Viking Brotherhood's Viking Manifesto, and later in his self-published newsletter, The Runestone, where he codified his own set of noble virtues. He included guidelines like strength is better than weakness, freedom is better than slavery, and ancestry is better than rootlessness. McNolan's newsletter quickly gained subscribers through advertisements he placed in established occult and paranormal magazines like Fate. In 1976, McNolan was introduced to Elsa Christensen, and he adopted the term Odinism to describe his faith. At this point, his ideas became more racially inclined. By the early 1980s, McNolan began using a pseudoscientific method called metagenics to argue that Odinism was the biological religion of people of Northern European descent. It's not scientifically sound, but the science is almost beside the point. It's not so much that they're doing science by espousing metagenetics, it's they're soothing their anxieties. 
about a world where it seems like everything's for sale and traditions are crumbling in the advance of modernity. During the same period, Christensen launched America's first Norse pagan prison outreach program in Florida. The program converted inmates to Odinism with alarming success. But outside of the prisons, the free heathen community was growing increasingly divided. Founding leaders like Christensen and McNallan wanted to keep the faith contained to people of Germanic bloodlines, while more moderate believers were growing increasingly uncomfortable with the racist undertones of that decision. It wasn't long before that tension boiled over. Uh, The Free Assembly broke up in 1987, and out of the ashes came a group called the Ausatru Alliance and a group called the Ring of Troth, which evolved into the Troth, which is the organization that I humbly serve now. And then the Ausatru Folk Assembly was the group that McNallan founded a few years after the Ausatru Free Assembly broke up, and they are still a going concern as well. The Ausatru Folk Assembly, or AFA, remained dedicated to preserving Germanic bloodlines, while the Troth became the first heathen group in America with an explicit policy of accepting everyone. Now, the AFA didn't call itself racist. It used the term folkish. Heathen communities commonly refer to their faith's ideological division as the inclusive versus folkish divide. Inclusive heathen organizations like the Troth welcome members regardless of their identity, while folkish organizations like the Ausatru Folk Assembly view heathenry as an ethnically exclusive tradition. Folkish groups traditionally argue that every ethnicity deserves their own religious tradition. But for decades, racial violence has been carried out in the name of folkish heathenry. In 1998, Odinist Bill King committed the racially motivated murder of James Byrd Jr. in Jasper, Texas. And by the early 2010s, folkish heathens began more explicitly aligning themselves with racist causes. Heathen symbols like the Othala rune and the Sonnenrod grew increasingly popular among neo-Nazi groups looking to replace the swastika, groups like the U.S. National Socialist Movement. In 2012, Maurice Michaeli of the Norse neo-pagan group the Wolves of Vinland attempted to burn down a black church outside of Bristow, Virginia. In 2014, white supremacist leader and Odinist Fraser Glenn Miller Jr. murdered three people outside of Jewish centers in Kansas. In 2015, three other Odinists were arrested after attempting to incite a race war by bombing black churches across Southern Virginia. In 2017, Stephen McNallan released a video on a white nationalist website stating a core belief that white identity is under attack by multicultural forces and expressing a need to fight for the white race. In August of the same year, McNallan appeared at the now infamous Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. A year later, the Southern Poverty Law Center categorized the Ausatru Folk Assembly as a neo-Volkish hate group. But the attacks didn't stop. On March 15, 2019, two consecutive terrorist shooting attacks took place in Christchurch, New Zealand, targeting two of the town's mosques and killing 51 people. The perpetrator there, in his little manifesto, said, see you all in Valhalla. The mention of Valhalla created such a strong connection to heathenry that Shriver, now a leader in the inclusive group The Troth, released a statement condemning the tragedy. Once this whole thing came out, I was like, we need to get ahead of this. We need to let the Muslim community know that this man does not speak for us, that we're not their enemies. But while inclusive heathens like Shriver condemn the violence of folkish groups, the folkish inclusive divide isn't always entirely clear-cut. Shriver rejects the idea of ethnic exclusion, 
but he shares the desire to celebrate and learn about one's own ethnic history. In short, I think that it is possible for it to be an ethnic religion while still welcoming people of all backgrounds. But then it begins to take less of a focus on the bloodlines and more of a focus on the culture and the evolution of the culture. After all, the evolution of modern heathen culture is not driven solely by racist ideology. Its heroic pantheon of warriors, the flexibility afforded by its lack of central governance, and its emphasis on personal responsibility through the noble virtues draw in libertarian-minded people. Likewise, its powerful female deities and the shape-shifting, gender-fluid god Loki have also made heathenry an appealing spiritual path for feminists and the LGBTQ plus community. You know, I was drawn to heathenry because of my ancestry. Uh, my great-grandmother was really big into genealogy. She taught me the Norse mythology. You know, that's how I, I started. But how we got here isn't nearly as important as what we're doing now. Because we're the kind of religion that is much more focused on deeds. There's a saying, we are our deeds. It's not about who you are. It's about what you do. Uh, the interest probably goes back to my grandfather, who was an English professor and who used to read me Beowulf in Old English. And I can still hear him saying, What we gardena sin yer dagum, theod kuninga, thrimia frunan huva etlingas ellen fremadon. And I always just liked that and was interested in it, drawn to it. The growth of neo-pagan religions has been slow but steady since the late 1960s. While there is no official data on heathen demographics, a self-selected 2013 worldwide heathen census from norsemythology.org lists 16,700 heathen practitioners worldwide. According to Stephanie von Schnurbein, professor at Humboldt University of Berlin and scholar of Germanic literature and neo-paganism, that number is now closer to 20,000. Michael Stramiska sees the rise of neo-paganism as a predictable reflection of the current social climate. For some pagans, what has opened up is the possibility of a rediscovery of nature, a re-enchantment or revalorization of nature. For some, a reawakening of the goddess. For some, a revival of a warrior ethos or a sense of tribal identity. And what I see happening in this is that the past, or at least our image or our um, version of the past, through whatever information sources we go through to arrive at this, it becomes an open space on which to project contemporary concerns while clothing them in attractive costumes from the past, which can seem more appealing when packaged in this manner. Stramiska also sees that a sense of tribal identity need not go hand-in-hand hand with hatred of other groups. Many pagans who do enjoy ethnic traditions may also be appalled by racism, and they may see the need to open up their religion to combat that tendency toward ethnic exclusivism. And one of the ways is to make the, the paganism a bit more open. But Shriver wasn't content with simply making heathenry more open. He wanted to take a stand against the white nationalism that plagued his religion. In 2010, he began volunteering with Heathens Against Hate, a group that educates heathens and non-heathens about the differences between folkish extremism and inclusive heathenry. By 2013, he became manager of Heathens Against Hate and started their prison inreach program to combat toxic forms of Odinism with inclusive services and educational material. 
this, a lot of these problems that we have are coming from the prisons. And you know, when these people get out, they're coming into our communities. And so we need to try to get them correct information while they're still on the inside. So when they come on the outside, they understand what they're walking into. One former inmate agrees with Shriver's perspective. Uh, my name's Thomas Engelman. Um, I have 16 years experience in the movement. Thomas Engelman is a former Aryan Brotherhood member and a folkish heathen. He has firsthand experience of how white supremacist gangs use Odinism as a recruitment tool in prisons. Engelman joined the Aryan Brotherhood around 2003, at age 20, while serving an eight-year sentence in prison for armed robbery. As a young man on a difficult path, he gravitated towards a group that promised safety and belonging. Like me personally, um, I joined for family, and I joined because I needed community. Engelman's experience with prison Odinism made him an ideal target for radicalization. They were like, you know, see, you can relate. You're a warrior. And they get you to get that battle readiness, that battle mindset, you know, of the Vikings. And they want to use that to kind of pump you up, fuel you, and try to get, you know, you know get you just get pumped up and become a warrior mindset. Once they do that, then they can you know, pretty much wind you up and set you off in a certain direction. In 2016, Engelman was shot in his eye by fellow gang members while driving down the freeway. Bleeding on the side of the road, he prayed that if he survived, he would leave the Aryan Brotherhood and change his life for the better. This was no easy task, but Life After Hate, a nonprofit that educates and supports people trying to leave hate groups, was there to help. It saved me in so many ways, uh, more than just like the group thing, but it saved me to, you know, in order that I didn't just stay the person I was, that I became the person that I always wanted to be. And that matters. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. Today, Engelman volunteers with Life After Hate. Although he no longer identifies as heathen, he believes that the inclusive movement has the potential to create positive change in heathenry. Today, Robert Shriver continues to manage Heathens Against Hate, which has grown more active in educating the public about inclusive heathenry. Shriver has twice been invited to present on inclusive heathenry at the Parliament of World Religions. He organized Frith Forge, the first worldwide conference of inclusive heathens. And after being elected to the highest position in the troth, he led the organization in denouncing all hateful forms of heathenry. While Shriver remains realistic about the continued existence of far-right heathenry, he is also optimistic that their racialized values need not become the norm. Uh, so I don't, don't believe that they'll ever truly go away, but I do think that, they, that their ascent to power and their acquisition of power and their ability to define heathenry within their context can be quashed. While Shriver's term as steer of the troth ended last June, he was succeeded by Laura Fuller. Fuller is excited to promote inclusive heathenry and to reclaim some of the tradition's lore and symbols from far-right groups. But like Shriver, Fuller recognizes that American heathenry is steeped in a racist past and that folkish heathens are not likely to disappear anytime soon. Just like the swastika is beyond redemption, uh, I'm not sure that we'll ever really escape that part of our history as a religious uh, identity. It's unlikely that heathenry will ever be able to fully eradicate its radical minorities. However, through endeavors like Heathens Against Hate, leaders like Shriver can influence the popular discourse around heathenry, distance the religion from its most toxic aspects, and attract more members with inclusive values. When people think heathen, I don't want them to think all right, which is what's currently happening, because many people think that, oh, well, they're a bunch of racists. 
But I think we can get people to say, hey, they're good people over here. They're good, inclusive people. They got this radical fringe, just like pretty much every group and religion out there has. But the bulk of them, they're solid people who stand up for good values and you know, improved communities and compassion and things like that. Because radical folkish heathens have such different motivations from inclusive heathens, Michael Stramiska is cautious about labeling them as a single movement. They may use the same gods, the same texts, and similar rituals, but have totally different ideas and interpretations. So the same religion in a sort of formal sense, but not the same religion when we go deeper. This division isn't a uniquely heathen dynamic. Throughout history, many of the world's religions have faced extremism within their traditions and consequently separated into various denominations or new traditions. Methodists, for example, recently agreed to divide into two separate groups over the issue of gay marriage. But I guess to put this in a larger context, heathenry or whatever you want to call it, Norse paganism, Mao faces the same challenge as any religious tradition that often interpretation is more powerful than text. If inclusive heathens fail to change public perception and if folkish violence increases, Stramiska fears that a wave of neo-pagan suppression could emerge undoing decades of growth. But if inclusive heathenry can establish itself as the dominant form, Stromiska believes that heathenry can be a force for good in the world, specifically in relation to climate change. We are more and more people are truly worried that human beings are going to destroy the environment of this planet we live on. And if there's any religion that has the symbolic and other resources to really rally people to protect nature, it's paganism, which is one of its foundations is a regard for the divinity of nature. So I'm hopeful that that element of paganism will come to the fore to a greater extent and the ethnic racial dimension will subside. Because I think the environmental aspect could be the most positive thing that paganism has to offer the world. In the meantime, Thomas Engelman suggests that the most effective method for combating extremism may be compassion. You know, we're humans, but we also have to remember that on the other end are still human beings and that we all respond to a compassionate ear and a compassionate heart more than we ever will violence or aggression or accusations. Small radical movements espousing hatred seem to emerge in almost every group often as the loudest and most aggressive factions. But leaders like Shriver show it's possible to shift people's attitudes toward inclusivity and acceptance. Shriver has zero tolerance for hatred, but his efforts never dismiss those espousing it. Instead, he tries to educate and treats people as redeemable and capable of change. As Thomas Engelman demonstrates, it is possible to guide people away from hatred and exclusion through forgiveness and support. It's an approach we can all learn from if we want to live in a more compassionate world. This episode was produced by Robin Lands. Ministry of Ideas is produced at Harvard Divinity School. It is produced by Nick Anderson, Galen Beebe, Zachary Davis, Anita Dunbantri, and Maria Devlin-McNair. Sound design and music is by Steve LaRosa. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support us by sharing the show with your friends, subscribing, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. For more information, visit our website at ministryofideas.org. You can connect with us in a few different places. 
We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we're at Ministry of Ideas. You can also email us at Zachary at ministryofideas.org. We're also on a new audio platform that me and Galen Beebe have been building called Lyceum. Lyceum is an app that makes it easier to discover great educational podcasts to listen to and have conversations with the hosts and other listeners of the shows. I'll be posting updates and answering questions in the Ministry of Ideas discussion room on Lyceum. So I encourage you to download the app, search for Ministry of Ideas, and join the discussion. Ministry of Ideas is a proud member of Hub & Spoke, a Boston-centric collective of smart, idea-driven podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at hubspokeaudio.org. I have to tell you about a Hub & Spoke show called The Constant. In it, host Mark Chrysler brilliantly and hilariously narrates some of history's greatest blunders and demonstrates that though we think pretty highly of ourselves, we humans are really, really good at getting things wrong. He recently released a series of episodes called The Fool Killer about a mysterious submarine found at the bottom of the Chicago River. Just drop whatever you're doing and start listening to it. Check it out at constantpodcast.com. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.